The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he shall be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Father, we live in a time that certainly does not seem stable and is not stable, but we know that you are our solid rock, our stability, the one in whom we can rest secure, knowing that nothing is out of your control. Nothing is beyond your ability, O Lord, to bring victory and triumph. Father, I thank you for your divine presence with us, for what you will teach us from your word, for the fact that we have you to come to in prayer each and every hour, and to know that you will intercede on our behalf and on behalf of those for whom we lift up our prayers this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been studying in the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel. And in reading this horrendous account, we have seen the truth of the warning given us in the first chapter of James, that if one is carried away by his lust, that that lust gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is accomplished, brings forth death. We've seen that to be a reality, we do see that to be a reality in this chapter as we, as we study it. But we also, and I emphasized this last week at the beginning of class, we see the reality of the warning given in Galatians 6 that whatsoever a man sows, this he will also reap. And we see this not only in the case of David, but in the case of Amnon, and we're going to see it in the case of Absalom as well. And so as we read accounts that seem to have nothing but, you know, uh, what, what would we call it, pulp newspaper kind of events transpiring, within them, we have to understand that God includes these accounts in the Word for a purpose, the purpose of illustrating the truths. Another truth that I think is worthy of emphasizing that is illustrated in this account is given to us in that well-known passage in Matthew chapter 7. Now let me read a couple of verses there. The words of Jesus in Matthew 7, uh, beginning at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Amnon, the man who kind of triggers the events of this particular chapter, was the crown prince of Israel. He had everything to look forward to, everything to hope for had he walked in the footsteps of his father David and taken account of David's failures and avoided those traps. But instead, what we discover is he takes for granted his position and he plays the fool. And clearly, we see described in this chapter that he built his house upon the sand. He built his house upon the sand of selfishness of no concern for, for har what harm he brought to others, of arrogance and of presumption, presumptuousness. And as we look at this passage today, we will see that the house of his hopes, even life itself, would collapse into total and utter ruin. So let's look at the 13th chapter of 2 Samuel and uh, begin reading at verse 23. Verse 23, 2 Samuel chapter 13. 
Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom said to the king, came to the king and said, Behold, now your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Abnum, Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's, Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. And the servants of Absalom did to Amnon, just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, each anointed, uh, mounted his mule, and fled. Now it was while they were on their way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose, tore his clothes, and lay on the ground. And all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose that they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead, because by the intent of Absalom this has been determined since the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely, all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now Absalom fled, and the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come. According to your servant's words, so it happened. And it came about as soon as he had finished speaking that, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voices and wept, and also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Now Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amenahub, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled, and so Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. And the heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. Now that you've had your inspiration for the day, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll move on. David had done nothing to redress the violation of his daughter Tamar by his eldest son, Amnon. And so after a two-year period of time, Absalom decided to take matters into his own hands. For those two years, hatred brewed in his heart and steeped and became a, a more and more vile brew until he hatched up a scheme a scheme whereby he would be able to avenge his sister. And to accomplish this scheme, two conditions were necessary. First, Amnon had to be lured away from the protection and the refuge of the city of Jerusalem and the royal palace. Secondly, Absalom had to be at a location where he would have a head start when he fled, knowing that once he had wreaked vengeance that he would suffer possible a punishment, and so he had to be able to have a running head start to get away. 
Now from this we must assume that even though Absalom was a royal prince, that apparently he had his own herd of sheep. And that he had hired some men, some shearers, to shear the flock. Now wool, as you well know, is the <laughs> primary source of wealth for sheep herders, sheep owners. That being true, the harvesting time, the time when the sheep are sheared of their wool, is a, is a time of great celebration. It's a time when, we, we know this from the account of Nabal earlier in, in, the, in the book, where um, you gathered together your family and your friends and you had a big party and you ate and you drank and you celebrated the harvest of the wool. And that seems to be what is implied here. Absalom is throwing a party for the whole royal family because his sheep are being shorn and he was thus harvesting his uh, crop. Now, I, I couldn't find the better machine, so you have to tolerate this. It's hard to see anything on here because it's gotten real messed up. But uh, here's Jerusalem right here, and here's Bethel. And just a few miles north of Bethel, on a, on a hilltop there is the old village of Baal Hatzor. This is the only place in all of Scripture where this town is mentioned. And so that's really its only significance as far as Scripture is concerned anyway. It wasn't a big town. And it's very doubtful that Absalom had any reason to be there other than this was a convenient place for him to plot this, uh, this crime. He probably didn't own any property in Behatzor. He probably didn't have a house there. He wouldn't have any reason to. After all, he and his family are Judeans. Uh, David comes from Bethlehem, and Judea is the home of, of, of the Davidic family. And this is up in Ephraim. And so I, I think he just simply planned this because it was a small town. It wasn't near any major centers. It was uh, just far enough away, as we see here, it was far enough away so that it would not be a, an intolerable trip to make from Jerusalem. It was about half a day's mule journey, about 17 miles by road, which on mule you can easily do in half a day. And so the sons, David and his sons, wouldn't say, oh, it's too far to go just for a party. No, we aren't going to do this. It, it, it wasn't too far, and it was something that uh, was feasible. But it was far enough that Amnon would not have any protection from royal guards in, in the palace or, or in the city of, of Jerusalem itself. In addition, being 17 miles north, by the time word got back to Jerusalem and anybody got the, the army together or guards together to come back, why, Absalom would have been long gone. And uh, on a fast mule, he could have easily made the trip to Geshur in no more than a day and a half. Notice the interchange here between Absalom and uh, David. Absalom has to appear totally on the up and up. Yes, I'm genuinely having a party, and I genuinely want to celebrate with you, my king, and my father, and with all my brothers. It seemed that Absalom knew his father well enough to know that his father would refuse to go. One of the things we have to think about is that David is probably pushing 60 at this point in his life, maybe a little older, we, we can't tell for sure. And he would probably be not up to traveling that far just for a party, just for a party. David's excuse was that the whole, if the whole royal retinue went to Baal Hatzor to celebrate with you, your, your resources will be well overtaxed. You couldn't feed the whole crew 
if the king and all his servants and all the sons and everybody went along, uh, it would be too big a group uh, for Absalom to care for. But Absalom had to make it look genuine. And so he had to keep insisting and pressing his father to go. But David was steadfast. Parties were great for the young, but David's comforts were in Jerusalem. Well, Absalom couldn't be certain that his next request would be met favorably. He couldn't be certain that David wouldn't become suspicious. The implication was that, well, Dad, if you can't come to the celebration, then let me be honored by the crown prince being representative of the royal household there uh, on my behalf in celebrating my sheep shearing festival. David's response indicates the possibility of some suspicion there because David says, why should he, why should he go with you? Now we don't know exactly how he said it to Absalom, but it could have been with some concern that, that Absalom had an ulterior motive here. Now we don't know exactly how Absalom was able to deflect David's suspicion here, but we get a little bit of indication as, we, as you look on in the passage, we find that the fact that David did allow all of the sons to go, including Amnon, he allowed all of the sons to go, this seems to indicate that what Absalom did was to say, well, I, I don't just mean Amnon, I mean all of the royal sons. I want them all to come and celebrate, you know, so it didn't look suspicious like he was just picking on the one that he might have uh, something against. Whatever the case, Absalom persisted in encouraging his father to allow the royal sons to come to the party. And, and finally, David, David relented. Absalom had, the scripture tells us, Absalom had said, neither said nor done anything to indicate his feelings about Amnon. Remember, Absalom is the full-blooded brother of Tamar, whom Amnon raped in the first part of this chapter. And the scripture tells us that he harbored a hatred against Amnon in his heart. But he didn't let it show on the outside. And so David, thinking about all this, and certainly just remember now, I've emphasized this before, where in the world, at this moment, 3,000 years ago, would Satan be working more intensely to try to discomfort the kingdom of God than right there at that moment? I don't think he was trusting any of his minions to be there. I think Satan himself was there attempting to convince David that it was okay. Abs Absalom doesn't mean any harm to Amnon. The whole thing is blown over. It's forgotten. And, and David said, okay, y'all can go. He was from southern Judah, you know. <laughs> He's from the southern kingdom. <laughs> Absalom's plan worked extremely well. Once everyone was in Baal Hatzor, the wine flowed freely, and I'm sure he kept telling his stewards, be sure that Amnon's cup is always full. We aren't told what Amnon's thoughts were. But it's obvious that he was lulled into false security. Absalom was showing him great hospitality. Absalom was showing him no hostility. As a result, Amnon was letting his guard down. And after all, he was, 
He was surrounded by all the royal sons. How could anything happen in the midst of all the brothers? However, Tamar, before, before uh, Amnon raped her, Tamar said to him, don't be one of the fools of Israel. If you do this, you will be one of the fools of Israel. And that was a prediction that was extremely accurate because he becomes one of the greatest fools in Israel. Remember Nabal, Nabal whose name meant fool. He refused to, at sheep shearing time when the festivities were going on, he refused to share of any of his joy, food or anything else with David and his men who had actually helped him. Instead what he did was drink himself into oblivion. And so what do we see here? Amnon, drunk until his heart was merry, it says, with wine. And he was thereby incapable of defending himself when Absalom's servants moved in for the kill. Amnon was the crown prince. So Absalom had to do some fast talking to convince even his servants that it was okay to kill the crown prince. He had to give them a pep talk, and it's given in the scripture there. He said to them, don't fear. After all, I'm a royal prince and I will protect you. But he further indicated that they should think of, the, of justice here. He says, be courageous and be valiant. The idea was that you're doing the right thing because you're avenging the honor of a royal princess. And on top of that, you're going to be destroying a man who has proven himself to be unfit to rule this kingdom. A man who would commit incest with his own sister. Well, I think they struck quickly and they struck accurately. The, st the servants weren't drinking. And although the other boys, the, the, all, the total group of royal sons, probably were all somewhat merry with wine. But when they saw what happened to Amnon and they saw the violence and the blood all of a sudden occur there, they surmised that they were probably going to be the next targets of the assassins. So the scripture tells us that they jumped up, ran for their mules, and hightailed it away in panic. You can imagine how that panic would be exacerbated by the fact that they were half-cocked, or crocked, or whatever you want to say. <laughs> so how many are we talking about here? How many royal brothers were there? Well, we won't turn to the third chapter of 1 Chronicles, but there we find 19 named, excluding the sons of his concubines. Now, in a later passage, we're told that David had 10 concubines. How many sons he had by the 10? Maybe he had other concubines. We don't know. But we do know that the names of 19 sons of David are listed for us. Well, one is dead and one is fleeing the opposite direction, so that leaves 17 if all 17 were still alive. There's some doubt about Kiliab, or Daniel as he's also called, because he's never again mentioned in Scripture. And he would have been next in line after Amnon and before Absalom. So it could be that he was already dead by this time. We don't know. And so you have 17 young men riding lickety-split back towards Jerusalem. Now, the big question is when you read this passage, how is it that word of the assassination reached the ears of David before his sons got back to Jerusalem? There was no email. 
no telephone. So how in the world did that happen? If all the royal brothers, as soon as they saw the violence occurring and their brother Amnon being struck down, jumped up, ran out, jumped on their mules and, and took off, how could anybody have reached David before they did? Well, seemingly the only possible answer is that the 17 had probably come with a few servants and that the 17 shouted to one of the servants, go tell the king. And he took off straight for Jerusalem while the sons maybe took a bit of a circuitous route, not knowing but what maybe Absalom assumed that some would escape and therefore he set an ambush out there somewhere to capture whoever gets away because that's a typical a ploy used in the ancient world. And, and so they may have gone by a different route and some in interpreting the, uh, attempting to interpret the description of the sons riding into Jerusalem have tried to indicate, even though I find it very difficult to tell what way they were coming from that description, but they tried to indicate that they were coming from the west, uh, which if they were coming from the west, that is not the direction of Baal Hatzor because it was to the north. Uh, and so they may have gone, rid, rode, rode over and caught the Beth Horon Ridge and come up that uh, route, which would have been more circuitous and therefore somebody going straight would have reached the king before they did. Is it possible people within the royal household were aware of what was going on and just didn't want to get caught on either side because it, those kind of things don't stay secret real well. I mean, people talk. Is that a possibility that you know, these guys are talking not because they had immediate information, but they already knew what was going on? As we read the passage this morning, of course, we do realize that there was one person who did know, and he's named in the passage ahead of time. Uh, but he seems to be the one who counteracts this false report. And, and so the question becomes, why is it that the message that comes to David is a false report? It says all the king's sons are dead. Now, it's possible somebody had decided that they'd overheard something and they, they, they were suspicious and, and, and so that they let it out, yeah, and, and that it was a wrong report. I mean, that's all possi possible, yes. All, all we know in this passage is it says that, uh, well, let's... Now, it was while they were on the way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So that would leave it open either way. It could be that somebody came in or it could be that somebody, you know, guessing or spilling the beans ahead of time. Whatever the case was, it was a false report, as early reports often are of events. Early reports often blow things way out of proportion to uh, what they really are, exaggerated. And of course, this is what David hears. All my sons are dead. And David responds by tearing his clothing and casting himself down on the ground. What does that remind us of? Not long ago, right? A few years back. Well, quite a few years back, but a few years back, when, when Bathsheba's first son, the one that was, that was uh, produced by David's adultery with Bathsheba, when that son was dying, David tore his clothes and spent a week on the ground pleading with God. And so here we see him again on his face, on the ground, toe, clothes torn, pleading with God that this report not be true. The counselors, David's servants as they're called, the, the, the men of the court, were stunned by this report. And the scripture tells us that they tore their clothes and stood around David, em, 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 what's the word? Empathizing, that's what I'm trying to say. 
empathizing with his pain. Now we come to the man Jonadab. Why was Jonadab with David at this time? Was he one of David's servants and advisors? Well, we do know that he was David's nephew. He was the son of, of David's, one of David's brothers. And so he could have been a member of the royal court. What we today call nepotism has frequently been uh, practiced all through history, especially in royal courts. And it wasn't called nepotism. It was just considered to be the way you did things. You, members of the family held supreme positions in the government. That was one way to hopefully maintain a certain degree of control and loyalty. And so Jonadab, as a member of the royal court, this would explain why he had such an intimate relationship with Amnon. Remember in the first part of the chapter, he's the one who came to Amnon and said, oh, why are you so depressed? And Amnon said, I love my sister and I don't know what to do about it. And so he's the one who comes up with the plot, you know, well, pretend like you're sick and have her come. And so, so this guy Jonadab is kind of an interesting individual in the midst of all of this. Now, we, as, we, as we read this, the question is, how does he know that only Amnon is dead. How does he know this? I mean, the report is that all the king's sons are dead. What, what kind of inside information does this man know? Does this man have? Well, it seems that he had switched loyalties. He had originally been loyal to Amnon, but when he saw what Absalom's reaction to Amnon was, and when he thought about what Amnon had done, it seems that Jonadab saw which side was the better side to be on, and he must have switched loyalties to Absalom and been in on Absalom's plot. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jonadab had contributed to the plot as he had to Amnon's plot. Obviously, this is probably not the best kind of man to have in your royal court. It seems that Jonadab was privy to this because notice what he says. He told David that Amnon's death had been the intent of Absalom since the day Amnon had violated Absalom's sister Tamar. In other words, Jonadab knew of the hatred that Absalom had for Amnon and the fact that he knows that only Amnon is dead I don't think he's just surmising this. I think he knows this to be true because he categorically denies that all the king's sons are dead. He says that is not true. Only Amnon is dead. Now the passage does not indicate that David questioned Jonadab as to the source of his information. How do you know this? You've been here all along. How do you know this? It does not intimate that David indicted him for having previous knowledge but not warning David so that David could have stopped the whole thing. It doesn't indicate that either. So it's very possible that David felt guilty in his own heart for not having redressed his daughter's violation and punished his own son Amnon and he couldn't help but feel that there was some justice in what Absalom was doing. Now we see this seems to be supported at the very end of the chapter. The last verses we read because it says, it indicates that David was more concerned, more 
mourning more over Absalom's absence than he was over Amnon's death. Well, soon after Jonadab had proclaimed that only Amnon was dead, the watchman on the tower sent word that men are riding hard towards Jerusalem on, on the road towards the gate. And so Jonadab quickly responded that the arrival of the king's sons will validate what I have said, that only Amnon is dead. You can imagine what it was like when the royal sons came dashing into the king's presence and he rushed and hugged them, I don't know, group hug or whatever. And they, it says they mourned, they mourned over the death of the crown prince, Amnon. What was the real feeling in the hearts of each of those sons about their eldest brother? What did they really think? Certainly everybody knew what Amnon had done to Tamar. Were some sympathetic? Were some hateful? And you know, I think the mourning might have been surface for many of them, not too in-depth. Maybe feeling that Amnon got what was coming to him. I, I don't think that the other brothers held Absalom in great esteem either because what we are going to see as we move on is that Amnon is a man of immense arrogance. I'm sorry, Absalom. Uh, why didn't he name him Bob and Jake or something, you know? And there's nothing that a proud person hates more than another proud person. <laughs> because that other proud person isn't kowtowing to them and, and bolstering their pride. That's why movie stars don't stay married together each together very long because they don't you know, foster each one's arrogance. They compete. Fearing retribution, Absalom fled to Talmai, king of Geshur. Why? Why did he flee there? Why did he flee to Geshur? Geshur is, is just on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. It was one of the Aramaic kingdoms that was under David's hegemony at that particular time. But do you remember why, why would he pick that kingdom? to flee to. Well, I guess it's too much to expect you to remember, but it was his grandfather. The king Talmai was his grandfather because Maaka, his mother, was the daughter, Scripture says, tells us, is the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So he fled to family, fled to his grandfather. Certainly his grandfather would understand and would think he had done the right thing. After all, Tamar, the one who had been violated, was his granddaughter. Talmai's granddaughter. So certainly he would view his son as having performed a noble act uh, on behalf of his sister. It's about 75 miles by road from Baal Hatzor, up here, right about in here, up to Gesher, either south of the Sea of Galilee, around the north end. About 75 miles. Well, 75 miles by mule. Mm, if you're in a hurry, you could do it in a day, day and a half. When the missions were established here in California, uh, the 21 uh, Franciscan missions, do you remember why they're, they're one, day one day travel apart by horse, roughly 30 miles, which is an easy, uh, easy ride on a horse, I guess. I, you know, last time I rode a horse, he stepped on my foot, so I haven't rode in one since. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was going up a mountainside and I slipped off because I was in South America and they didn't have saddles. They just had little blankets and so I slipped off the back and he stepped on me and I wasn't happy. But 
Scripture tells us that Amnon, I'm sorry, Absalom remained in Geshur for three years. And during that time, David, we're told, mourned more for the absence of, absence of Absalom huh, than over the death of Amnon. Does this imply that David saw in Absalom a noble act? Maybe. But I think, of course, we're going to see that there's another truth that applies to this passage that has to do with Absalom. The king was the only person in Israel who had the legitimate right to punish Amnon for the incestuous rape of Tamar. Since David had failed to deal with Amnon, Absalom usurped his father's authority. I'm sure Absalom believed one day he would be king, and so he was stepping out ahead of time to execute Amnon himself. But as we will see, and as I have highlighted before, Absalom's motivation was not entirely noble because he was third in line. Before him was Amnon and Daniel, or Kiliab. Amnon is dead. Kiliab, because of silence about him in Scripture, apparently is or will soon be dead as well, which will leave Absalom as heir to the throne. This is really the primary motivating factor for Absalom. I think if he'd been 17th amongst the 17 sons, that he might not have done what he did. Even though he probably did care for the honor of his sister, I don't think he would have gone to those lengths. Oh, he might have taken Amnon out behind the barn and trashed him, but he probably wouldn't have uh, killed him. I think Absalom knew that his father would get over it and would one day invite him to come back to Jerusalem. When that happened, and it will happen, Absalom would soon demonstrate that usurping his father's authority in the case of Amnon was just a prelude to a far greater act of rebellion. Well, I think we better stop to take our time to pray, but when we come back, I want to emphasize another truth that this passage teaches, and then we're going to look at Absalom's return and the uh, events that would transpire out of that. Again, David reaping what he has sown.